You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. We are going to continue our series, God Is, and we are looking at the attributes of God. Because when God is in the place that he's supposed to be, when we understand who God is and in, in, in all his attributes of his sovereignty, of his omnipotence, of his omniscience, last week, Pastor Ken talked about how God Father, this or last week before that, we talked about how God is faithful. And so this week, we're talking about how God is self-sufficient, how he is self-sufficient, how he is in not in need of anything or anyone, but he is fully sufficient in himself in the Trinity. Uh, so let us pray, and then we will get started. Lord, I thank you for today. God, we pray right now for Pastor Manny out there in Longview. God, that you would just let him have an amazing day, Lord, that souls would be saved, that marriages would be fixed, Lord, that addictions would be broken, Lord, that relationships would be restored, that kids and kids' church would come to know you, that seeds will be planted even at a young age. And so, Father, we ask that you would move mightily there in Longview, but we ask that you would move mightily here, God, that you would fix marriages, God, that you would strengthen our weary hearts Lord, that you would strengthen our weary souls, and Lord, that relationships would be mended, that sins would be confessed, God, that our, when we are self-reliant, that we would confess that, and Lord, be totally dependent upon you. And so, Father, use me, use your word, pierce our souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so um, one of, recently, uh, I, one of my favorite things to look at is I love RVs. So I don't know if, if anybody likes RVs, but I really love RVs. And uh, for the past probably four or five months, it may have been borderline nagging. So maybe I should stop doing it. But I have tried to ask Jamie over and over, hey, let, would you be okay one day when we retire if we just move into an RV? And for the longest time, it's been no, no, no. But a few weeks ago, I was able to get a yes with a condition, and it was great, right? I'm okay with conditions, because I'm like, that means we will hopefully one day, if the Lord allows, live in an RV. Because I just think about the idea just to travel, to not be stuck in one place, to see all the parts of the U.S. Uh, so the condition was we needed a home base. So I'm like, deal, I'll buy you a tiny home, and that'll be home base, and near the kids, and we'll go from there. So, but... The ultimate, right, but the goal of, of this, right, to live in an RV, to have, it really is to be self-sufficient, right? We all have deep within us this, this longing to not be dependent on anybody else, right? This is why some of us have strong work ethics and why some of us, you know, aren't so easy to ask for help or to, you know, to talk to people about the things that we're going through because we want to be independent. I was talking with Brother Clyde before service, and he, we were talking about how at such a young age, we are taught to be independent. We are taught to be, you have to do it. You figure it out. Nobody's going to help you. You need to do it. It's all on you. You need to grind. You need to do this. It's all on you, right? So we're taught that this at a very young age. And this is why people, you know, will get solar on their house, right? This is why people will dig wells on their property. This is why people will collect rainwater to then feed their crops that they're growing in their backyard so they aren't dependent on the city water and they aren't dependent on buying uh, food, but they instead grow their own food. This is why people hunt and they freeze their own meat and, or they go and, you know, process their own meat because we want to be self-sufficient, we want to be able to not be dependent on anything, right? We have this deep inside us. But deep down, 
we will always still be, whether you accept it or not, is that we are always still in need of something we don't have or can't create. Right? So even as humans, no matter how off the grid you become one day, you are still dependent on something outside of you, right? Like if you're off the grid and you're growing all your own plants, you still need it to rain in order for you to have crops, right? You still need rain to grow the grass where you feed your animals. You still need, you're still dependent on something outside of you, right? Because even if you don't buy food, you're dependent on rent. Even if you hunt, you're dependent on someone's lease because we're not, you know, in the way back when where it was just open territory. So no matter how much we do, we will never be self-sufficient. You will never be independent. You will always be dependent on something, on someone. No matter how independent, no matter how much of a grinder you think you are, you are still dependent on something in your life in order to live, And so if you can accept that, and you can accept that the idea that we don't live as dependent as God created us to be, then life gets much easier, right? Because if you think that life is supposed to be all on your own, all on your back, all by your own bootstraps, then you will continue to stress yourself out over and over because you think that it's on you when ultimately you are supposed to be dependent upon God and not yourself, not your own ideas, not your own energy or anything. And so if we go to Isaiah 43, verses 6 through 7, it tells us this. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So God right here is laying out, right, that everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? My glory, right? So that's, so we see from scriptures that we were created not to have our own dreams and desires and our own everything and to be independent, but instead we were created for his glory, whom he formed us, he made us, he called us by name. And so we were created for his glory. We were, because we were created to be dependent, you were created to depend on God to depend on his provision, to depend on his timing and not your own timing, to depend on his plan, to depend on his power, his interceding, his everything, right? Because at the end of the day is that let's say you're like, no, but I did this and I can, and I live this way and this is how I'm independent. This is how, you know, I've lived my life. Look how great I am, right? And you're showing the world how independent you are, yet you are still dependent on air. You are still dependent on needing food because even if you fast, you can't go the rest of your life without eating. You need food. You still need water. You still need scripture. We need prayer. We need fellowship. We need the church. We need to attend church. We need to depend on the Lord. He created everything that we need to thrive, and it's here on this earth. It's here. He's given it to us. Everything that you need to thrive in your life, he has given, and it it exists because he's a good God, and he's faithful, and he gives you everything that you need. So we are dependent more than we realize. And yet, sometimes, most of the time, right, it's even in my notes, but when you look at your spiritual life, 
is that your spiritual life looks more like you're dependent on your ability to do things and your ability to learn rather than depending upon the Holy Spirit to guide you and give you the strength and to teach you as you're reading the scriptures every single day that you open them up. You need the Lord even to pray. You need the Lord even to think about wanting to pray. You need the Lord more than you realize because for most of us, our spiritual lives are dependent upon ourselves and not the Lord. You see, but God isn't dependent on anybody or anything, right? Because if God had any needs, he would be incomplete. If God had any need whatsoever, he would not be God. He would not be worth worshiping. He would not be worth anything. Because if he's in need of something, that means he's dependent on something outside of him. And that's not the case because God is self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He was here before the world was ever created. He created every single thing that we can touch, smell, feel, all of our senses. He created them all. And even the things that we cannot see unless we look through a microscope, he created them all. God is not in need of anything, and that's why he's God. He didn't create the world because he was lacking, for our God doesn't lack anything. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, old dead guys, the ODGs, as I like to say, his name's A.W. Tozer, fantastic guy. He's from Chicago. He says, he's, oh, he's passed away, of course, but it says, he says this. When he talks about God, he says, nothing is above him, nothing beyond him. No one can promote him, so no one can degrade him. And then he continues and he says this, So were every man on earth to become atheist, if every single person was an atheist, it would not affect who God is in any way. To believe in God adds nothing to his perfections. To doubt him takes nothing away of his perfections. Right? Our ability to worship God doesn't make God greater, and our inability to worship God as much as we should doesn't make him less. God is always God. He is always supreme. He is always self-existent, self-sufficient. He would still be complete if he never had created the world altogether, but yet he did. You see, it would be foolish of us to think that God is greater because we exist or he would be less worthy if we didn't exist. Because the sun is still the sun, even if you were blind, right? It would still be shining. It would still be giving warmth, even if you couldn't see it or feel it. God is the only one who is truly self-sufficient. He needs nothing, and he has everything. So this is where we come in. Because, if you're taking notes, this is my big idea, what I'm trying to prove. Because God is self-sufficient, he can supply all my needs. He can supply all your needs. So because he is self-sufficient, he can supply all my needs and all your needs. Because we must remember that God created everything that exists, right? We see gas at an all-time high. We see the stock market going up and down, declining, you know, just all over the place. Interest rates are at an all-time high. You know, food is more expensive. Formula is non-existent. But yet, because God is God, because he is self-sufficient, we live with a different mindset than what CNN, what Fox, what MSNBC, what the world, what the news 
news, what our friends, what Facebook, what anybody says tells us how we should be feeling, what we should be worried about. We are not like those. Why? Because our God exists and he exists outside of that. And so because he is self-sufficient, we lack nothing. And because he is self-sufficient, he can supply all our needs and we don't have to worry. Because if we, we know that food will be there for us, right? God promises to Noah after the flood. Genesis 8, verse 22. He says, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Until Jesus comes back, until that glorious day when there's a new heaven and a new earth, sea time and harvest, Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. All the conspiracy theorists, all the global you know, warming, whatever, is that we trust that this earth will keep on spinning until that day that Jesus Christ comes back and this world is no more. That is what we hold on to, not what the world tells us. We hold on to what the scripture tells us. We don't lose sleep or worry about the lack of things because we know God is the supplier. If we go to Acts 17, verses 22 through 28, it will be up on the screen. Paul says this. Paul says, so Paul is just in, you know, he's in Athens and he's walking around. He's looking at their temples and, and the gods. And so then he says this. He says, he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So they were worshiping an unknown God that they didn't know the name of it, what it did, but they knew that something else was there. And so then Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So you go back to verse 25, and we look at verse 25, and Paul says this, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he doesn't need a thing because he gives to all mankind life and breath. For you go to verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. You are dependent on the Lord more than you realize. Your life may not look like it. Your spiritual disciplines may not look like it. Your lack of prayer, your lack of scripture, your lack of belief in who God is may not look like it. But it doesn't mean that God stops being God because we lack belief in him. Right? He is still God. He is still providing. Why? Because he is faithful and because he is father and because he loves us. He continues to give us the air that we breathe because in him we live and move and have our being. Right? We use resources on this earth, but God is the source of all things. Because right, in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so if we go to John 1, 1 through 5, it tells us this. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's talking about Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see here in John that John's telling us that all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, anything that exists was not made without him. So there's not a single thing on this earth that is created that didn't have its source, its beginning from Jesus Christ himself. He is the one, when God spoke, right? In the beginning, God spoke. In the beginning, right? And then light appeared. It was Jesus, right? He was the word of God. He is the word of God. So Jesus, he is the one who created the created things. Yes. So we go to Philippians 4.19. And we see that Paul is saying, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, God didn't need anything. He created everything. So because he is self-sufficient, he can supply all my needs. He can supply all your needs, right? Food, he can supply that. Comfort, he can supply that. Strength, he's got that for you. Uh, love, look to Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. You want peace, he promises that. You want reconciliation in relationships, he led the way in that by going to you first, right? While we were dead in our sins, he sent Jesus to die for us, right? He, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So we can look to Jesus and know that we have everything that we need. You look at, you need a job, he can provide that too, right? You name it, he can supply it. Now, I didn't say name it and claim it. I didn't say name it and manifest it in your life, right? Because there's this, there's this thing going around where it's like you got to manifest goodness, you got to manifest this, right? You got to speak it into existence, right? There's this, I, this teaching, right? But this is nowhere in Scripture, right? Because I didn't say that. I say you name the need and he can supply it. You go to the Lord with the need and he can supply it, right? For the Bible is clear that only God speaks things into existence. He's the one that created the earth out of nothing nothing. Because if we could speak things into existence, then we are God and no longer in need of God. And we are dependent on nobody else but ourselves because we can do it, right? So if you go to Romans 4.17, it tells us this. Romans 4.17. I'll read it. It's not there yet. Oh, he's going? You got it? All right. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Who what? Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God is the one who calls the things into existence that do not exist. Why? Because he is God. He is sovereign. He spoke things out of nothing. He created us out of nothing and yet the whole world exists because he is God and we are not. And so we can trust that he will supply it. We can trust that our needs, he will take care of you. He has you. So let's go back to Philippians 4.19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. According to what he says. He says, his riches. 
He says, if, so if God is self-sufficient, if he created all things, if he owns all things, then that means his riches are endless, right? So his supply for us will never run out. Him being self-sufficient, him not needing anything is good. Why? Because he gives because he loves us. He doesn't give us good things because he's lacking something. He doesn't give us good things. He doesn't provide things because he's like, I need you to love me. I need you to worship me. I need you to tell others about me. No, God doesn't need any of that, right? But instead, he loves us, and he wants us to be, to enjoy this communion that he had since the beginning of time, before time began, with him, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, because of that love, he created us, and he created everything we need and it exists in this world today and so he can supply all of our needs according to his riches which are endless and so because we are created in his image it doesn't make us robots right because we are created in his image it doesn't mean that we're robots and that we don't have choice or free will or anything like that right we choose things But what I'm saying is that when we see what Christ did, when we see that God is self-sufficient, when we see that God is sovereign, when we see that God created, when we see God for who he is, it should cause us to return worship of him. Right? So we see God. We see how wonderful he is. We see how amazing he is. And so in that, our response is worship. So one of the... um, one of my favorite things is uh, basketball. And uh, a few years, or many years ago now, wow. Uh, but for those who aren't basketball fans, I have another analogy coming up, so just hold tight. But in, in, it, was, it was game seven or game six. I can't remember. It was LeBron James, big LeBron fan. And it was the finals. The, the clock was winding down, and they, the, other, the Warriors got a fast break still. And so they were going down the court, and they were about to score. And then LeBron comes out of nowhere and he blocks this shot, and then it changes the whole response of the game. And I remember in that moment, I was sitting with a bunch of people who hated LeBron James. I was, in, I was sitting on this couch, and I jumped from that couch, and I screamed, and I was, like, pointing at their faces. I was like, ha, 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 did you see that? And LeBron ended up winning that year. It was crazy, right? But I, I saw LeBron. He did this amazing thing, and then I got up, and I just, my response was just to go crazy, right? It's the same thing if you go to a concert or a symphony, right, where you go, and it's the final song. Right? It's the final piece, and the song is climaxing. The music is building, and it's just building and building, and then at the last moment, it's just this huge, just finish, and the guitar, the drums finish, and they're hitting, the fireworks are going, or it's the symphony, and everybody just leaps up from their seats and is just clapping and clapping. Why? Because they are in awe and amazement of what they just saw and heard. They're in amazement of this beautiful thing that they just experienced. I was in such awe of what LeBron did. And so the question is this, how much more should our lives be a response where we see God work in our lives? We see God be faithful in our lives. We see God come through again and again. And so our response should be to just worship him with our whole life. Because it's not, worship is not just 
a Sunday morning, you come in here, the band plays, and that's your, that's your time of worship. Or you're in the car, and you're listening to worship music, and you're, that's my time of worship. No, Paul would argue differently. If we go to Romans 12.1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our worship to the Lord is giving our bodies to him. Our bodies are not our own. Our dreams are not our own. Our desires are not our own. They, us as Christians, we are to offer to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, saying, Lord, you can have all of me. You can have all my time. You can have all my energy, all my effort, all, everything about me is yours. Not what I want, yours, Lord. Worship means to give attention to or to give worth to. And it essentially is saying to give priority. And this is why we don't just worship on Sundays, but in every area of our life. And when we do this, then we can see that uh, in Romans 5, right, it helps us to kind of see what it means to give our life to God. So go to Romans 5. 20 through 21, and it'll go through Romans 6. So if you want to turn in your Bibles and follow along with me, this would be a good time for you to do so because I want you to see what Paul is laying out here. So go to Romans 5, starting in verse 20, and then we're going to finish in Romans 6, verse 11. So it should just continue on. If you didn't know, the Bible, the original letter of Romans was written without numbers and chapters. They did not exist until like 600 years after he wrote the letter. So we did, it was easier to just figure out where they were at the time. So it was all one letter. This is why we're reading. It's, that's why some people be like, whoa, it's two chapters. It's the same thing. Okay, so verse 20, let's start reading. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right there, right, so you're looking, it says, the law came in to show and expose our sin. So the law came in to say, hey, you're a sinner, you didn't measure up, but grace, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So even though your sins were this much, grace is way more, right? So that's kind of what the Bible's saying. You may have a lot of sin, but grace outnumbers your sin so much more. So let's keep reading. So then Paul says, verse 1, Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul is saying, okay, your sin may have increased. Grace abounds all the more. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, so then, should we just live however we want? Because grace is just going to cover it. Paul says, by no means, right? 
Because we are now dead to sin. We are now dead to the power of sin, the temptation of sin, and now we are made alive in Christ. We have a newness of life. We have now pursuing righteousness. So our life of worship is a life pursuing righteousness and not sin. So let's keep going. Verse 6 or verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall, be cert- we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, right? You are no longer enslaved to sin and temptation in your life. For one who has died has been set free from sin, right? Past tense, you have been set free from sin so that your life can look like a life of worship. Verse Eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to live as a living sacrifice for the Lord, is to live in a way where you see that you are dead to sin, that sin has no hold on you, has no dominion on you. Temptation does not have to win in your life. Why? Because you have been set free from sin. That is your identity now. You are no longer a sinner in need of a savior, but you have been saved. And yes, you still sin and you still make mistakes, but now you have been set free from your old ways, from your old life. And so we must consider ourselves dead to sin. Why? Because of all he has done for you. Because even when sin came into this world and fellowship with our Father was broken, he made a way by sending Jesus to die so we would no longer be separated from him. Where do we see this? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, right? He has kept you alive even when you weren't living for him. He has given you food to eat, a nature to enjoy, a family to make you laugh, kids. He's given you Chick-fil-A. I mean, we can rejoice in that. He's given me Grandies. You know how much I talk about Grandies. He let you get a job. He's given you oxygen every morning. He gives us water to keep us going. He gives us an immune system. You know, ultimately, he gave you his son to die for your sins. How much more could he give than himself? How much more could he give than himself? Whether or not you see it as from him is on you, but it doesn't change that he is the source and supplier of everything that you've enjoyed in your life that wasn't sin. He did this out of love. And when we understand this, then we can be like the righteous one described in Psalm 112. It'll be on the screen. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. 
He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. And this is what Jesus, this is what the Lord is inviting us into. When we see that he is self-sufficient, when we see that he has always existed, we know that no matter what life looks like, he can supply all of our needs. And we can be the one. Wouldn't that be great, right, to not be afraid of bad news? That when you hear bad news in your life, when you get a bad diagnosis, when you get a bad phone call, when you get whatever it is, is that you're not afraid in that moment, but instead your first inclination is to say, Lord, I trust you. Isn't it better to be able to, to, to experience that instead of hours and days of just stress and anxiety where your family doesn't get you completely, where your husband or wife doesn't get you completely, where you're showing that you don't really trust that God has you and is good and is loving, but instead in that moment when bad news comes is that we can be like the righteous one described in Psalm 112 where we will never be moved, that we don't have to be afraid of bad news. Why? Because God is God and we are not. And this is, this is what he's inviting us into today. If you can stand with me. Not done quite yet, but I need you to make sure you didn't fall asleep. One of the best ways to live this out is by praying. One of the best ways to live out this idea, this understanding that God is self-sufficient and we are dependent upon him is by prayer, right? Because when we pray, we're saying, God, I'm going to be about your business while you take care of mine, right? That's what prayer is. That's one of the ways you can describe prayer. God, I'm going to be about your business, your kingdom, your righteousness, and let you take care of everything going wrong in my life. It's, it's saying, God, I'm going to pray for the souls that are doomed to hell while you take care of my kids' sickness, while you heal my kids. God, I'm going to pray for the lost in Tyler that you would give them a new heart while you take care of my situation at work. It's saying, God, I'm going to ask that you use me to make Tyler a city on a hill that missionaries for the next 300 years come out of here to every city in the world while you figure out getting me a new job. God, I'm gonna spend more time on my knees praying for your will to be done, praying for your kingdom come, praying for your, your righteousness to be reigning here in Tyler in my life, at my job, in my kids' lives, in my coworkers, that I'm asking, I'm praying on my knees that the lost would come to know you. And, and in that moment, I'm trusting that you're gonna take care of everything else that I need before I even have to say it or ask it because you know it, right? So we can spend more time 
on the things of God. Why? Because God is God and we are not. And he is self-sufficient and we can trust him. And so many a times we spend more time praying about our needs and our things. Why? Because we don't think if we bring it to God's attention that he'll never take care of it. And that's not the case. Is instead, as we say, if it was one sentence, we say, God, you know what's going on in my work. Now let me get to praying for these lost souls. And let me spend 20 minutes, let me spend 10 minutes, let me spend 30 minutes praying for every single person I know who's lost, that you would save them and you would open their eyes. It's God, you know the sickness my kids are going through. I give it to you. I trust you with it. Now let me pray for all these broken marriages that I know about for the next 30 minutes. You see, it's a different mindset when you understand that God is self-sufficient and we are not. Because when we spend more time praying on our needs and not God's kingdom, it shows that it's like, God, if I don't do all this, then you're not going to do that, right? And it's and almost is like witchcraft where it's like, God, if I do this, if I don't do this, then you're not going to do anything. Yes, he says, pray and give these things. But what I'm saying is spend more time praying for the kingdom of God and the things of God rather than your own personal needs. Why? Because he's going to take care of them. He's going to fix those things in his timing, his provision, his way, right? Because our time on earth is short. There are too many lost souls. There's too many things in the spiritual world that are going on that we are not aware about whatsoever, right? I I was talking about how, or I, I I was listening to a sermon, and it was talking about how one of the greatest things that the enemy has done is show that we are not at war with him. One of the greatest things that the enemy of God's kingdom has done is to show that we are at peace with him. Right? It's not true. Because right, Paul says, fight the good faith, right? He talks about Ephesians, the armor of God, how we have to pray, right? He says, pray, right, with your, is the, is the few, prayer is the fuel for the armor of God, is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. And so for too long, the enemy has deceived us into and deceived me into saying that, hey, I don't have to pray for this as if we're at war because really in my life, I'm living as if I'm not. And it was one of the greatest lies I've ever believed. And I had to confess to the Lord and say, God, I've missed it. God, I've missed praying in a way that I am more concerned with your kingdom moving forward with the kingdom of darkness being pushed back than I am with my own life and the things that I want for living grace. God, I just want your will to be done. And now God has shown me and exposed my heart that I spent more time on the things that I wanted and less on the things that I should have been praying about for him. You see, Yes, the gospel, our goal is that we would pour ourselves out in prayer. Because if not, he will find people to pray. He will cause us to pray. And the thing is, I don't want God to pass over Living Grace or Tyler, Texas, because we're not doing the most important work. Because my sermons won't change Tyler. Are, are having an amazing service on a Sunday morning won't change Tyler, right? We could have everything correct and do everything right and pack this place out, have a bajillion services, but if we're not praying, then it is all for naught. 
If we're not praying, then it has no power to it. If we're not praying, if we're not a praying people, then it will not, there will be no seeds planted. There will be nothing done. Yes, the gospel saves. Yes, the gospel is what is the power of salvation is what the Bible tells us. But prayer is what tills the soil. Prayer is what lays the foundation. Prayer plants the seed. Prayer waters the seed. If we're not praying, then my word, if I'm not praying in the week, if I'm not praying in a way that I understand the, the spiritual battles that y'all are facing in a week that Tyler is facing, that this world is facing, that everybody is blind to, then my sermons will fall on dead ears and will not matter no much how, how much time I put into them. But I could do a sermon of 15 minutes, which some of y'all would love. And if I prayed my heart out the whole week, God can do more in that 15 minutes than can in however long we've been listening this morning. You see, God reigns over every country. He reigns over North Korea. He reigns over America. He reigns over Tyler. But prayer is what smashes doors down for the word to get in. Prayer is the power that wields the weapon of the word. Prayer is one of the ultimate ways to worship because it fully plays God as supreme and us as his servants. Church, we must pray. We are at war with the enemy. And the enemy's greatest work is to make us believe that we are at peace, that our prayers don't matter, right? But what if the Lord showed that us as a church, if we started to take prayer seriously, if we started to pray seriously when we weren't here, that somehow by some way it would launch a revival of sorts if only we would have stuck to it, right? But the problem is we don't see our prayers working. Why? Because it's not, it's the, sometimes prayer is not in the physical. We don't see the effects of it in the physical and it's only in the spiritual. What we trust that God knows and when he says that the enemy is walking around like a lion seeking to whom he may devour. And so we pray that God would use us to go and find those people and pray that when we talk to people that they would be open to hearing about Jesus, not about living grace. It's not about this church. It's about the kingdom. It's about the church as a whole. It's not about this church, but they, they would be open to any sort of gospel or any to the gospel preached to them by any person who attends any other church in the area. Because it's not about us. It's not about living grace. I would be okay if living grace never got to be packing this place out if it meant that every other church got packed out on Sunday because of our prayers. I would love that. I would love for every other ministry in Tyler, Texas to be flourishing because we are praying our hearts out in our, and we are sweating in prayer and we're crying in prayer and we're bleeding in prayer like Jesus did because we want Tyler, Texas to come to know him and it's because we don't want it to be about living grace. We want it to be about God's kingdom and God's in the kingdom of God moving forward. You see, I want to see the parts and people of Tyler that no one cares about to come to know Christ. I want to go to the, I want us to be in the parts of Tyler that no church wants to be about 
No church wants to have their doors in because they're scared that they might get broken into every single week. I want us to have such a presence in the places where churches don't want to go to so that God can move forward. Because here's the thing, God is already moving in those areas and I want to join him. And I want us to join him in prayer. I want us to join him in our presence and all those parts of Tyler. But that won't happen unless we pray. And that won't happen unless we see who God is and trust him. That won't happen until we believe we are at war with the enemy and God has called us to pray. Because even making disciples who make disciples won't succeed unless you're praying. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.